0: people are looking for something that they already believe and they're trying to find support in the text instead of looking at the text and saying what is this text trying to tell us about truth I think if you are like for whatever is normal to you how you've normally read it if you're willing to say I'm gonna try on like a different set of glasses if you've always read it as history if you're like I'm gonna try and read it like what if it was um, an allegorical story to teach about all of humanity. Would I get something different out of it? Or like, if you're always, like, if you're firmly in the camp of this, this is just a, a symbolic, stylized telling. Like, what if you put on historical glasses for a minute and said, okay, if I was reading it this way, like, would I get something different out of it? I think that's a good like exercise because it allows us, well, number one, to see what like other people might see in the text that we've ignored, and also kind of to open up our our possibilities of like what the lenses we've been using have not allowed us to see.
1: Hey everyone, this is what your pastor did tell you. Today I'm talking with Christy Hemphill. We're gonna be talking about Adam and Eve, whether it's whether it's they are historical, what is their meaning, how we should we should view them in the Bible, as well as just take a look of general of how we should view Adam and Eve in the Bible. Hey, Christy, how are you doing? Um, can you tell us a little bit of your background and um, what brought you here today? Hi, well,
0: I feel like I should get to be called friend of the show now since you asked me two times to come talk with you. Um, I am a, a moderator on the Biologos Faith and Science Discussion Forum, so um, I kind of get to hear what people um, are asking about different topics when it comes to Bible interpretation, when it comes to harmonizing um, Christianity and um science and so I've been doing that for now about seven years and it's given me just a good good idea of the the major sort of ideas that people are chewing on and um, the questions people have and the things that trip people up and cause them to have kind of like little mini crises in their in their faith or in their understanding. So I think that is what I can bring to the table today is just a, um, some observations I've made over about the things that, that people wonder about and the, the kinds of questions people ask and arguments people make when they're trying to understand um, how Adam and Eve fit into salvation history and just our Christian theology in general.
1: Yeah. And um, a little bit the background, like uh, yeah, background in linguistics, uh, can you talk about a little bit about well, <laughs> that, Bible translation? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I have some degrees and stuff too. Um, I work as a, um, a consultant on a Bible translation project in um, rural Mexico. So my academic training is in linguistics and Bible translation. And um, before I moved to Mexico, I was a teacher. I taught high school and um, college, ESL. And um, so that's my background is in education and, um, but I've always been interested in Bible interpretation and hermeneutics and how we get the linguistic area that says, how do we get meaning out of texts is very interesting
1: to me. Yeah, no, that's definitely, uh, for me at least, I've noticed that just talking to you, like, you have a very different perspective just because you you see the way, um, like, you have that little background in linguistics, but also that background of just, like, being around and in the game as far as just, like, knowing all different types of views and all that, that kind of stuff. So this should be pretty fun. Um, so... <laughs> In your experience, uh, what would you say are the, you know, the popular views on uh, understanding the story of Adam and Eve?
0: We have the um, young earth creationist view that takes the um, Genesis count very literally, you know, they believe it's history. There um, was a couple and they lived in a garden and they talked with God and Adam was literally created out of dust by God's hands and you know, breathed life into like Life was breathed into him by God's mouth and lungs. And you have Eve, who was created literally from Adam's rib, and they literally ate um, some fruit that caused sin to enter the world. And then um, they were the very first human beings, and all human beings on earth can trace their biological descendants back to Adam and Eve. And um, sin is kind of this biological um, thing that, well, or at least is transmitted. You know, from, child, from parent to child. And so um, it's very important to the theology that um, we all be related to Adam and Eve, because that's how we became, that's how we got our sinfulness that, you know, Jesus takes care of. And then um, you, you have some old earth creationists who aren't as concerned that these people lived 4,000 BC or 6,000 years ago, but they are, they do take the story very literally, but they're willing to kind of push it farther back in time um, to try to make it um, fit better with what we know from science and archaeology. And then you have people who are like, no, this um, very literal reading doesn't fit with other things we know about reality. We know that human civilizations have been around for more than 6,000 years. Um, We know from genetic evidence that there was like we can't trace our human lineage back to a single couple at least not within the last 500,000 years. And you know that pushes, like, Homo sapiens didn't emerge until, I'm not gonna say the dates because I'll get it wrong, but 500,000 years ago is more like Homo erectus, not Homo sapiens. And you have some Christians who are like, well, then Adam must have been uh, Homo erectus because it's very important to them to have that like first couple, first um, human um, single couple. And, um, then you have people who are like, well, if that's not what the genetics say, then maybe um, they weren't, maybe it's not that we're all biologically descended from, you know, one and only one first human couple. Maybe um, Adam and Eve were chosen out of a population of people and they were like spiritual representatives and their, their sin either it spiritually affected all humans on earth at the time because they were the chosen representatives or maybe it was transmitted culturally or through genealogies is one theory like as people became related to adam and eve spin spread to the world um, and some people they so they're they're approaching the story and they're saying there's elements of history in this story but it's told in a way that has some figurative elements, some allegorical elements, some elements that are meant to be read as like the story of all humanity. Um, But they really like it's important to their theology that there be a historical couple that in some way contributed to a historical fall. Because this idea of the first sin and humanity becoming sinful is important. Then you have um, other people who are like, no, that that isn't as necessary to us. And so they read the account as um, like a mythologized origin story or um, a symbolic story of all humanity, where this is um, just telling maybe a story that's been repeated throughout human history, that every time God reveals himself to a group or to an individual, they choose their own way, they choose to be autonomous, self-governing, rebellious people. And, and so the story of Adam and Eve is not like a historical story so much as um, a pattern that all humanity repeats. And because of that, we know like all humanity is sinful and in need um, of redemption. And so people who, who kind of pick that interpretation, where it's this universal story of coming to moral accountability and then rejecting God's rule, they don't usually have as much um, concern about, well, how do we understand where the image of God came from or who had it first or how does original sin get passed along? They're, they're more just interested in um, how do we understand the human condition that we as humans experience um, today? And so I think those are those are the, the major kind of groups is, you know, the literal history people, very concordist. If it's in the Bible and it's history, we have to find like points in our understanding of history that line up or, you know, well, it's figurative and allegorical in some ways, but, you know, we want for our our story of God, we want like a, a real Adam and Eve who are actual people. And then the people who are like, no, they're just a symbolic. I mean, they're The name Adam means humanity and Eve means life. And so, um, people point to that, and they're like, "These are allegorical names, at least." So that um, is not is not always a case of just dismissing it as a, a myth or an allegory because you don't want it to be history.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you get a little little bit of both there. Um, so. So that's kind of like, you know, popular views. Um, are there any views that aren't as popular that you found interesting and um, that maybe some of us might not have heard of?
0: Um, some of the things that it's not so much like a view of like who are Adam and Eve and what do they mean as as just like looking at the story as telling the story of Israel. So they'll find these parallels between the story of Israel and the story of Adam and Eve. So, you know, Israel was exiled from their sacred space and their temple was destroyed and Adam and Eve were exiled from their sacred space. And so um, people look for, um, kind of, they call them like recapitulations of, it's telling the same story, but, um, or they, they find like, okay, the story of Noah is in some ways related to the story of Adam and Eve. And Noah is a a recreation story. And um, so I think that's like an interesting lens to use. I I like the idea of um, Adam and Eve being the kind of the traditional story of Israel's ancestors that they passed down. And that was their understanding of where they came from. And that, like the beginning of their chosenness, maybe that God had chosen their ancestors in this special way and revealed himself and, you know, like the roots of their rebellion, (laughs) like went farther back than just, you know, the Israelites in the desert rebelling against God, but they had this this history of um, God interacting with them in a certain way and making covenants with them and being faithful and them being faithless. And so I like the Adam, Adam and Eve are Israel kind of lens to look at it.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I kind of, I thought of, um, so like, you know, for a lot of people, you know hearing these different views on adam and eve it's it's like well hold up you know this is this we want to take the bible for what it is not what we want it to be so you know we need, we need to take it as literally and um you know there's there's no additional meaning under the text um but of course um w- what was really eye-opening was when paul you know in galatians 4 talks about abraham's wives hagar and sarah and how they can be taken figuratively and it's like wait i mean if paul can do that then you know yeah he was inspired when he wrote that but at the same time um you know maybe that that opens my mind at least okay you know maybe there might be bad views out there you know or maybe there could be good views we would never know unless we're open opening to it you know
0: yeah yeah and maybe he was approaching the bible differently than we've been taught to approach it so like maybe there are different approaches that are okay.
1: Mm. So obviously the topic of inspiration is extremely important here. Um, you know, whether the Bible is true and all that kind of stuff. Um, could you make, um, could you talk about, I guess, your view as, of, of inerrancy and inspiration and how that plays into this discussion?
0: Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, I think, you know, you have a, a, a continuum and on the far end, you have people who sort of see inspiration is like divine dictation. So they kind of envision God giving like verbatim the words to the authors. And then they sort of envision these authors like sitting down at a table with a scroll and writing the Bible. And um, then on the other extreme, you have people who are like, no, the, the texts of the Bible, they were purely human products, but God, Kind of adopted them as his story and now uses them to inspire people he, he communicates a spiritual message through them they don't really see them as like divine products and i think most christians are somewhere in the middle where they they realize that the authors um, had personalities and had cultures and had purposes and what they were writing and you know maybe even had limitations in their human worldview but they believe that God was filling those authors and and was this, the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of those authors so that what they saw and what they understood and what they communicated was in some way from God and that um when I mean, you have this whole process like when I think about inspiration I think it's not really just about how the texts were generated, though I think the Holy Spirit, it's not just that he sat down and filled an author and the author wrote a text, because the Bible is not, like nobody sat down and wrote the Bible. You have this compilation of texts that were produced over several millennia on three different continents, in three different languages. There, um, there, there are all these different genre and purposes to the text, But I don't believe that Paul, when he was writing those letters, thought of himself as writing scripture. I think he was writing letters. You know, he's asking, like, bring my coat and my writing stuff. And, oh, Timothy, you know, take some wine for your stomach problem. Like, that is not what someone who thought they were, like, sitting down to pen the words of God would write. So you have, you know, this long process of of scripture coming together. You know, the Old Testament was maybe parts of it were based on oral tradition. We know part, there's that Q hypothesis that parts of the new, the new Gospels that they have in common was maybe based on a different document or a, an oral tradition that the early church had. So um, you have all these different kind of like streams feeding into the text that we have. And the texts we have now have been revised and put together in different ways and um, edited in certain ways before they became, you know, the Torah or the um, the gospels and um then you have a process of canonization that over several centuries what was going to be the bible was being debated and decided and i think like for inspiration you have to see like well god was in all of that he was in the editing and he was in the composing and he was in the what got chosen and um and it's not just that he was in the production but he's in like inspiration is is about like how the Bible like shapes us and transforms us today. Like it forms the church, and the church is is now being inspired by the Bible to continue God's story on Earth. And like God is in that; He's in our understanding of what um, the Bible means and what it is like, how it's guiding us. So, I think like a complete view of inspiration is not just how God got the words on the paper, but how the whole Bible came together and how it like is used to be what brings us to repentance and what teaches us to be righteous and wise and what, you know, comforts us and gives us hope. Like that's all part of inspiration. And inerrancy is a whole other <laughs> other topic. I think um, for like, it means a lot of things to different people. And, um, Sometimes I think it's just like a litmus test of like, do you take the Bible seriously as something that is authoritative and true? In which case it's like, well, yes, that's what Christians do. They believe the Bible is authoritative and true. But I think for other people, it's almost like they created this construct and now they're kind of imprisoned in it. And um, at some point, I think maybe it, it's, it was created in a historical moment to fight certain fights and those fights are not what we need right now and has outlived its usefulness um to some degree but um that's a long discussion for another day probably
1: yeah so and um um, good thoughts there um and the specific emphasis on this topic you have obviously it's going to be important of um how we define inerrancy is going to affect how we should see things scientifically so like you know if if we see the Bible as a science book, um, if we see the Bible as, if for it to be true, it has to reflect how science is today, then um, that's obviously gonna affect our interpretation of what we allow as you know, interpretations. Um, but obviously- Yeah, I think the,
0: the key words there are um, concordism versus like divine accommodation. So you have people who are concordists, which means They believe because the Bible Bible is true, anything it says about history or the natural world is historical and scientific. And I mean, you can find echoes of that in like the Chicago Statement that's related to inerrancy. So they are tied together. But um, you have people who are inerrantists, like John Walton would affirm inerrancy, but he would not say that he is a concordist. So... um, that, that's why it gets complicated, like what people, what people mean by it, because you have like reasons to believe the old earth creationist organization is is concordance. Like they're looking for how the Bible describes scientific realities and young earth creationism is concordist. They it's kind of a like in a different direction, but they are using the Bible to define like what science is allowed to say and history is allowed to say. And so because um, there's like an importance that they really match up. And I think you have other people who take this divine accommodation approach, which says that um, God accommodated the pre-scientific worldviews of the biblical authors and audience and spoke to them in terms and symbols and on themes that were important to them and that they understood. And so um, when it talks about whatever, the pillars of the earth or the windows of heaven that yes, maybe in some ways those weren't figures of speech. They literally believed that the sun, you know, the sky was a dome that was solid and rain and snow came through windows. But that isn't what the Bible is intending to teach us about nature. That is just an accommodation that God made to their worldview. And he he wasn't interested in changing and correcting their scientific worldview. He was interested in communicating how to relate to him and, and those aspects of their pre-scientific world, that just weren't important. Um, So I think uh, you have people coming to the, the text from that divine accommodation perspective saying we don't need all the, everything the Bible says to line up with our scientific and historical understandings that like we've decided we just need to understand what it meant in the, in the context that it was given what it meant to them.
1: Yeah, totally. So um so in regards to you know talking about different views of genesis um i've noticed that your inspiration your view of inspiration and an answer is going to change what you allow so um that's that gets into like not just the text of genesis but also the writers of the new testament some writers of the old testament you know there's the you know there's the phrase if jesus believe that you know adam and eve existed then i do too um or we should too and um you know it's jesus like why would he you know the god of the universe why wouldn't he know if adam and eve existed like like what is that um so um could you talk about differing views that you've heard about how um you know obviously there's going to be people that you know think that you know the new testament writers or the old testament writers thought that adam and eve existed Um, Can you talk a little bit about about that as well as some other views that people take? You know, maybe people that don't think that Adam and Eve are historical. How how do they get around that deal?
0: Yeah, Um, I think it is a big deal for a lot of people that Jesus alludes to um, in the beginning when God established marriage. And it's clearly an allusion to Adam and Eve. And then um, Paul writes a lot about Adam in several letters. Mainly people refer to Romans. Um, because he has, you know, his whole extended analogy being, you know, being in Adam, being in Christ, and this is clearly like foundational. And so people make an argument like, well, if Adam isn't historical, then why does Christ have to be historical? And so if Adam sin wasn't a historical reality, then um, maybe we should just throw out the historical resurrection and they kind of make that argument. Um, And there are a lot of people that really do seem to think it's this very airtight argument that if like an allusion to something establishes their historical um, reality. And I don't necessarily understand why people think that because we make allusions to literary figures all the time to make points. And what's important is that our audience understands who the literary figure is and, and what they understand whether it's historical or not. So I can make a reference to Bilbo Baggins, to you know friends who understand The Hobbit, and I can use this literary character to make a point, and everyone that I'm talking to knows he's not a real historical individual, but I could talk about him like he was, and I could talk about the facts of his like life as if they were history, and I could still make my point. Or you you have um, characters that are literary characters that are like of dubious historical, um, like Robin Hood or King Richard, where a lot of the things that we might know about King Richard that we could allude to, they're literary King Richard. You know, we know them from watching Disney or we know them from reading Shakespeare, and they might not actually be about the historical King Richard, even though King Richard is a real person. Or, you know, Robin Hood, like, may or may not have existed robbing the rich and giving to the poor. But we can still allude to Robin Hood and people who have the same like literary canon that we have would understand the illusion. So I think Jesus was talking to an audience that understood Adam as a literary figure. And they understood the the stories around Adam. So you could make a point and everyone knew who you were talking about and what you were referring to. So I think both Paul and Jesus are are not saying, let me tell you what happened in the past. They're making different points about um, spiritual life and about the importance of leaving your family, you know, when you get married. So um, they're using illusion to support a different. Movement. Now, what we don't know is what, like what was going on in the minds of Paul and Jesus and their audience. Like we don't know whether Paul Thought that Adam was a historical person. He might have. Like, I think that's probably like, probable. He just like took it for granted that Adam was the first human, like the account said. Um, and so depending, yeah, depending on your view of inerrancy, that's either um if Paul thought that Adam was the first human and the parents of us all, then he has to be. Or if you are a little more on this end of the spectrum, that's like, well, the biblical authors are not. Inerrant in their worldview, like he could have been wrong about that. It the Bible is not directly teaching that Adam has to be the very first human being. It's just alluding to this literary tradition where he was. That's kind of how people kind of work around what it seems like Paul thought Adam was, Um, and they would say, "Well, Jesus just you know alluded to the establishment of marriage. He wasn't saying anything about." History And we don't know. We don't know like what his psychological beliefs about the historicity of Adam are just from that brief mention. So I think like we we want sometimes we want the Bible to be saying things that um, fit with our like schemas that we've created to make sense of of like um, a bigger theological picture. But if you were just coming to the text and saying, what does this text say? And how would a like a normal person understand it? It maybe isn't there. Maybe we've kind of imposed it um, on the text because we want it to be there.
1: Yeah, well, my first thoughts are, you know, characters like uh, Jonathan Jambrus and Second Timothy where they're referred to wow. as characters like in the, in the story of Moses. But, um, you know, and we know that they were Jewish you know, tradition Um, Uh but obviously they weren't in the original account of, you know, the exodus. So, I mean, I mean, I personally don't think they existed, um, as people, but, you know, it's almost like tradition might've, yeah. Like a literary view of, of something like that. I don't know. And then there's also, also, you know,
0: like Pete ends writes about this, like, as being a moment when he realized the Bible was not what he thought it was, is there's a reference in Jewish tradition, um, you know how Moses struck the rock and the rock gave water so in Jewish tradition because they needed water every day that rock was like a magical rock that followed the Israelites around the desert and then you know they got manna from heaven and they got water from the, the rock that followed them and Paul actually alludes to this in one of them he says you know the rock was Christ and so he's clearly referencing kind of a extra biblical Jewish legend that had developed and he's referencing is it if it's history Now, I think maybe Paul knew it was a story, <laughs> but um, like he used it to make his point and and so I think that um, maybe sometimes we make assumptions about like how the New Testament authors were allowed to use the Old Testament or were allowed to use stories based on our own, kind of post reformation ways of treating the bible when that wasn't really how jewish rabbis treated the bible and that wasn't really how like they did their um exegesis of the torah so sometimes we kind of get locked into our own cultural understandings of like what how history should be told and how arguments should be made and and we don't kind of step outside and say well what tradition were they Working from how would have, how would have their audience have understood this illusion?
1: Yeah, and I also think of uh, how Jude and Second Peter or First Peter they mention you know the book of Enoch and you know most Christians aren't mm-hmm. going to say that the book of Enoch is inspired, um, but you know it seems like they're drawing on some type of um, uh, legend or whatever of Enoch and. Know, Paul, some, says, Paul says, all Cretans are
0: liars. You know, that was a saying, all Cretans are liars. So that's the inherent word of God. If you're a Cretan, you are a liar. I mean, like at some point you're like, no, he's using like a common cultural, you know, understanding to make a different point. And he's not saying, God says, all Cretans are liars.
1: Uh, yeah. Um. So this is something that I've been uh, thinking about a lot recently. So, you know, you talk about like, maybe they saw, you know, Adam and Eve as some type of literary figure, which doesn't mean that they didn't exist, but they just uh, had a different view, kind of like how we see Robin Hood today. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, in that regards, um, you know, some people are going to say, okay, well, you know, that wasn't actually how Adam and Eve were. So that seems to think that, make us conclude that if we're going to take that view, we have to say that Paul or Jesus were wrong. Um, What do you think about that idea there?
0: Yeah, I think it it just goes back to saying like, well, how are they using them? And um, like, I think Paul, when he's bringing up Adam, it's not usually people get really hung up on this idea of like biological descendants and genealogy. And like, it's really important that we be related biologically to Adam. And um, I don't think that was important to Paul, just because I don't think biological relationship was the kind of thing that gave you your identity. You could you could convert to um, Judaism and be a child of Abraham, even though you were not a biological descendant of Abraham, but you claimed that identity and you claimed that kind of pedigree and genealogy because when he talks about like being the gentiles being grafted into the tree and so now they're children of abraham too and so i think when he's talking about adam it's an identity conversation so are you in adam is that where your identity is as a human in like broken spiritually dead humanity or is your identity in christ this redeemed resurrected new spiritual life Um, whole humanity that Christ represents. And so both Adam and and Christ are like, humanity is wrapped up in both of them. But it's like, what kind of humanity? And the important thing for a Christian is, well, which kind of human are we going to put our identity in? And I, I don't think that Paul was making any points about history there. I think it was really points about our spiritual condition and points about our like membership in a, in a community. Are we gonna be a member of, of the broken humanity that Adam represents? Or are we gonna be a member of this new community that Jesus is like forming around himself on earth, of redeemed humanity? So um, sometimes, I, I don't know, people are looking for something that they already believe and they're trying to find support in the text instead of looking at the text and saying, what is this text trying to
1: tell us about truth? Yeah, totally, for sure. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. So, um, so when you talk about like, okay, so in inspiration, um, if we are to say that, you know, scripture is inspired and in what it intends to teach, um, so if it's not trying to talk about um, or trying to teach us that our thoughts come from our kidneys or the heart or whatever. Um, Or you know, ancient cosmology that if we don't have to take those things as what scriptures is intending to teach, that makes me think how that gets into whether scripture was trying to teach us that you know this literary Adam Eve existed or, or anything like that at all. And I even think about like, I mean, this might sound heretical, but and I want to get your thoughts on it. But if, if we are okay with saying that the bible is um isn't trying to teach these these scientific views you know the question for me is is it trying to teach these you know whether x people are historical um Mm -hmm. and not only that but if if these people you know say jesus was wrong which is oh terrible um i'm trying to think about like just you know hypothetically like is that a view that we can hold while also, um, you know, being without like contradicting or taking the Bible out of context or anything like that. So, so for example, you know, I, it talks about Jesus, you know, he grew in favor and stature and basically he learned more, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if you learned, that means he didn't know that before. And if he didn't know that before, then, um, you know, it's like, Okay, so I thought he was God. I thought he knew everything. And then talking about, you know, Jesus didn't know the day or the hour that he would return, only God knew. Mm-hmm. So obviously there were some things that he didn't know. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe he didn't know everything, but that doesn't mean that he was wrong about some things. But then when you look at the story of Jesus mentioning the mustard seed being the smallest seed, and it's like, okay, you know, surely we're not going to take them as you know, scientific truth that the mustard seed is the smallest seed like we already know that it's not in the world. Um, But I mean, for those that say like, you know, Jesus could have been wrong. And even though he did, maybe even thought that Adam and Eve were real historical people, that could we still say that the Bible is inspired while also saying Jesus was wrong about things? Is that is that something that's even a possibility in your mind?
0: Um yeah. Yeah, no, and I think it's it's something that people are thinking about as they're asking these questions. I think it's called kenosis is the idea in theology, but I could be wrong, so maybe don't quote me on that. But it's the idea of when when Jesus emptied himself it talks about that, Um, you know, he emptied himself, God emptied himself and became human. Like what, to what extent does that imply? Like he gave up his omniscience, he gave up his um, whatever mental perfection in in whatever sense we have that. And he became limited by a human brain because human brains do not perceive the world perfectly. Like we know that. And so um, I was reading a book by, kenton sparks and he asked the question when jesus was learning his trade with his father and becoming a carpenter did he ever cut the board the wrong length and is that like a problem or did he ever look across the you know street and think he saw his brother but it was really his cousin and call it the wrong name like could he be human in that way to be mistaken in his limited like humanity with a human brain that doesn't always perceive the world perfectly or always you know make the perfect judgment and um like that it's like an interesting thought right like that's not sinful to think you recognize somebody but it's not it's not um like it's it's human and so um i think the more you can understand Jesus is being fully human and fully incarnate in a human body with those limitations. And I kind of believe like Jesus had special access to the Holy Spirit because he was God. So he had a like a sensitivity and a communion with the Holy Spirit that like most of us probably only like catch a glimpse of, but like technically we all have access to because we've all been given the mind of Christ, right? So I think his access to God's omniscience was through the Holy Spirit, the same way we have access to God's omniscience. And, and I think he probably had more of a like window, but he, he had to spend time alone in prayer. He had to go be in quiet places and commune with God, you know, through the Holy Spirit. And so I think that, um, yeah, he wasn't just like God walking around in a human body with all of God's like Power and knowledge, and you know, seeing the entire scope of history. I think he was kind of limited by his like culture and place and language and location. But he chose that. He chose to empty himself in that way. So I guess, like for me, could could Jesus have been wrong in thinking that Adam was historical and he's not? Like maybe that doesn't throw me for a loop. But I I don't know that you have to think of Jesus as wrong just because he, you know, alluded to Adam because you know maybe they were historical. I don't know that we have definitive answers to that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And just to be clear, um, I would say I'm totally undecided on whether Adam and Eve existed. I think there's obviously a lot of good reasons to think they are. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just the question is for me is um, what does our you know theology allow, and, um, and just seeing where that takes us, I guess.
0: Yeah, I was listening to an interview with um, Tim Mackey and Jonathan Collins. They do the Bible project videos and they were saying that they've kind of shifted their focus now instead of just explaining what the Bible says to like, kind of teaching people how to read the Bible and get like more meaning out of it themselves. And they said, I forget which one of them mentioned this, but he said, we tend to read the Bible with a list of things we've been told the Bible says. And then, what we hear from the Bible is basically what our list of what we've been told the Bible says allows us to hear. And so it's very hard to come to the account in Genesis without, like, without your commitments to whatever it is. Your understanding of original sin, your understanding of um, what the Bible is and does. Your understanding of inerrancy and inspiration like those are constructs like those like the list of what you believe like is already true affects almost like what you're allowed to see in it
1: so yeah can you talk about some common pit, can you talk about some common pitfalls people take when engaging with the subjects of adam and eve
0: yeah um i don't know if i call them pitfalls but i think it kind of relates to this idea of bringing your presuppositions And so I don't know that it's like a pitfall, but like I think some people don't identify what they're already like the answers that they've already decided. And they don't identify the questions that they kind of are demanding the text answer. And that can cause you to like see answers that maybe aren't there or um, assume it's talking like within the paradigm that you're bringing to it instead of. Um, like seeing what it says. So I think um, people bring their, like, the answers that have to be true for them, whether it's, you know, that, um, or their questions, like, was the first human created in the image of God? Like, when in history did that happen? I don't know that the text in Genesis answers that question. But for some people, that's an important question. And if they don't identify that, then they might, like, try to find the answer without realizing that, like, they're looking for it, if that makes sense. So I think, sometimes like the questions we have and the questions we've already decided, we know the answers to, they sort of affect, they become the lens we read the story through. And then it's like, we won't even allow ourselves to use a different lens and see like different answers. And so I think that can be, I don't know, a pitfall. Like we've already decided before we've even read it, what it has to tell us.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about this kind of last time where, uh, in Genesis 1, like, you know, people go to the text and they think, okay, so, uh, you know, yum means has to mean one, you know, 24-hour day, seven 24-hour days or six, whatever. And it's like, sure, you can have a little meaning, but you can also, there's there's different ways of language you might not have thought of before. Like, it can be, you know, a conceptual metaphor for, you know, mm-hmm. God's creation week as basically, you know, that's kind of how Moses describes it anyways. Um I don't know if you categorize that. Um, do you see that as any possibility in um, in the Adam and Eve story? Like, you know, you have your, you know, maybe a, a literal Adam and Eve, and then, you know, maybe additional meaning on top of that, or some type of metaphor, or, any, or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think if you are, like, for whatever is normal to you, how you've normally read it, if you're willing to say, I'm gonna try on like a different set of glasses. If you've always read it as history, if you're like, I'm gonna try and read it like, what if it was um, an allegorical story to teach about all of humanity? Would I get something different out of it? Or like, if you're always, like, if you're firmly in the camp of, you know, this is just a, a symbolic, stylized telling, like, what if you put on historical glasses for a minute and said, okay, if I was reading it this way, like, would I get something different out of it? I think that's a good like, exercise because it, it allows us, well, number one, to see what like, other people might see in the text that we've ignored, and also kind of to open up our, our possibilities of like, what the lenses we've been using have not allowed us to see. So um, I, I, don't, I think like, people have different approaches and some people really, like, they want the right answer. And I think just from my personality, I like trying on ideas. And so it's not as hard for me to just kind of say, I wonder how this idea feels, and I wonder what this viewpoint is like, and let me sit over here for a while and experience what You know, people who approach it this way think and it, it's not as hard for me to sort of like take viewpoints on and off, whereas I think other people like, like sometimes I have discussions with my husband and, and he's more of a like he wants things organized and like them to fit and so like if you mess one thing up like it messes everything up and then he wants to like fix it and I'm just like no you know just like there's this big tree with all these branches let's sit over here on this branch for a while and he's like but what about all the other branches that just got messed up so some of it I think is like your own tolerance for messing up your your schemas by trying out new views but I like doing that
1: yeah no that's definitely a interesting perspective um helps to keep you open-minded at least i mean you know i, I mean i i hear a lot of stupid views um but you know i can, i'm always happy to be open-minded about it and you know if it's wrong it's wrong but you know there's typically there's no reason to like you know knock things down just because you don't like it or you know whatever
0: yeah well and i think like in science we talk about how like Hypothesis never really proven, it's just well supported or, you know, kind of not supported. And I think in some ways, like we have hypotheses about the meaning of of texts and what scripture means. And it, I think a lot of times we're like, well, prove that yours is right. And it, like, maybe finding the right interpretation shouldn't be the goal it should be like is this idea like well supported is there evidence for it is it a good idea there could be multiple mutually exclusive good interpretations that you know have support and then it's not like a matter of well you're wrong and i'm right it's like well we both have different but well supported interpretations and then like you said there's stupid ideas (laughs) there's there's interpretations that are not well supported at all that we can kind of rule out is it's probably not that's not the best not that it's like wrong and we're right but like that's not a good interpretation so that's kind of a helpful framework for me in evaluating different views is um is kind of like is this a good interpretation does it play by the rules that we all agree on of how to interpret the bible how to exegete responsibly um does it use the tools we have well and like you know there might be two competing good interpretations and we don't really know which one is right, but we know they're both like solid. Looking well, at um, of like approaches, you had mentioned like mm-hmm. approaches to genealogies um, oh, yes. when we were um, writing on Facebook. And I think like that's like an interesting case study in this, because I think that a lot of um, modern Christians approach the genealogies as a historical record. So like the only point of the genealogies to them would be to like record historical facts about whose father was who. And I don't think that's necessarily how genealogies functioned in the history of Israel or in their literature. And I think a big clue is in the Old Testament, you have these ages that are not humanly possible that have all these like mathematical patterns incorporated in them. And so, like, clearly there's something symbolic going on with those ages. It's not purely like a recording of historical fact. And, um, you you know, people bring up, well, Adam is mentioned in the genealogies in the Old Testament, he's also mentioned in the genealogy in Luke, so therefore he has to be historical. And because it's a genealogy, we all have to be descended from Adam biologically because of the genealogy. And um, I think that is kind of not asking questions about like Luke, who traces Jesus' genealogy back to Adam. Like then it goes to God, you know, son of Adam, son of God. And we know like Adam's not biologically descended from God. And in this genealogy, he kind of breaks the tradition and there's these five women in it. Women weren't normally included in idea in genealogies. He traces the genealogy through Mary, which like you don't trace genealogies through mothers. And the women that he mentions are not even Jewish, some of them. You know, you have Tamar, who's a Canaanite. You have Rahab, who's a Canaanite. You have Ruth, who's a Moabite. Like, these are not the kind of people that you would put in your pedigree if it was a biological, like, who am I descended from? So, like, he's making some other kind of point. And I think the point he's trying to make, he's trying to set up his whole gospel is about how the gospel is inclusive and it's for the Gentiles and it's for the women and it's for it's for all of humanity. So maybe tracing back to Adam, like Adam means humanity is, is a way of him saying, you know, Christ came for all of humanity, not just for like our Jewish pedigree that we are used to kind of, representing by our, in our genealogies. And then you have um, Matthew in his genealogy of Jesus, he traces it through Joseph, and we know Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. So clearly something is going on, in that genealogy was more about establishing his identity as a good Jew, because Matthew is writing to kind of, you know, a Jewish audience where, like, he's trying to prove Jesus the Messiah, the, the chosen one the Jews have been waiting for. So the genealogy is serving, it's like an identity thing, it's not Biological history of a family tree, so like I think those kind of things, you know, if you you come to it like expecting to see certain things, but if you let it, like if you look at it more closely without your presuppositions of what it has to do, you might see see different things there.
1: Yeah, I think we could talk all day about you know the genealogies; they're super fascinating and the context of you know how they saw numbers and all that. uh, David Falk I just I mean I don't, I haven't looked into this enough but David Falk says that like when the the Egyptologist he says that genealogies to them would have been something like you sit down at a campfire and you read out the genealogies and that's like story time and it's like oh, it's pretty like mind-boggling if that was you know that's yeah. like the most boring part of the bible if anything <laughs> um yeah so
0: -hmm. in the new testament my kids like it and i'm like this is the worst (laughs) on the whole album let's not listen to it again but
1: oh my god Jews are different that's funny um so last time we talked about um like the different genres of you know how we approach the genesis debate and you know there's a lot of people that that take the approach that like, okay, um, Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve obviously didn't exist kind of thing because of science. And so it must not be true. Um, Can you talk about like some pros and cons with that approach? And I guess what framework we can, what framework we can take to make sure that we, you know, still read the Bible as, you know, true and, for what it is, but without putting our, you know, you know, little perspective into it. if that makes sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's kind of like two sides and I don't really like appreciate either of them. There's the side that says, um, we know what the Bible says and we know the Bible is tr- true. And so the Bible gets to tell science what it's allowed to discover. And, you know, that's kind of where the young earth or older earth Concordist idea of certain scientific discoveries can be ruled out because we know the Bible says something different. And then you have people, on the other hand, who say, science tells us what's true about reality, and it limits what the Bible is allowed to tell us is true. And so I don't think it's a good approach to Genesis to say, I have learned this, this, and this from science. So therefore, the Bible, what the text says has to be constrained by that reality. Um, like the authors of Genesis didn't know that, like you, so I think Bible interpretation is a discipline separate from science and it has its own tools and it has its own methods. And so you have Bible interpreters who are accomplished scholars who are coming to the text without a predetermined scientific conclusion, and they're saying, what does the text say in its context? Like what does it mean? I think that's what we need to do: is is not come to the text with our you know cage that science has built around it, but just come to it with a, a trying to understand what it communicates. But I think you know there's only one reality, and I think science gives us some tools for understanding that reality, and um, the Bible gives us tools for understanding like different dimensions of reality, and so we we shouldn't come to like mutually conflicting truth claims about reality from the Bible and science. So if science is claiming one thing and you believe the Bible is like claiming something that contradicts science, well, then we've got a problem because like the truth should be, we should be able to harmonize it. So I think if your interpretation says that, you know, Adam and Eve 4,000 years ago were the biological parents of all humanity and science says, well, we can genetically disprove that, then like maybe your interpretation isn't the best but um I don't think we come to the text with like genetic evidence and say okay now what is the text allowed to tell us about Adam and Eve? because like the text wasn't taking into consideration that when it was produced it was it was produced in its own context so I don't know if that makes that makes sense but I think we need to like read the Bible with the tools of biblical interpretation and come up with an interpretation and then we evaluate it against reality and science informs us about reality and gives us tools for understanding reality. And so we should have this like complete picture using all these tools that we have for arriving at truth.
1: Yeah. And kind of focusing more on like, you know, the plain meaning of the text and all that, Um, you know, typically those types of people, they want to take the approach that, you know, there's absolutely no additional meaning. And on one hand, you know, um, you know, if, if you just, I guess for some people it's, you know, if we decide it's historical narrative, that means that there cannot be any other additional meaning. And um, we briefly talked about that, but I mean, obviously there's some good things about that. Can you talk about like, as far as the good things, but um, ways that we can do that without missing the the real meaning of the text?
0: Yeah, well, I think um, the people who, who very much think, well, if I can prove this is history, then I've proven it's true. There's an underlying assumption about, um, like, the Bible can't, um, like, the Bible has to be true. And so, like, it's not true that every genre that you can identify as historical narrative is telling you, like, something that historically happened. Like, you can write a novel that is in the style of a historical narrative that's totally made up. Now of course we don't approach the bible like we would approach any other novel but just identifying a genre doesn't tell you that the bible is telling you something that truly happened like that's a faith claim that you started with um so i i think sometimes like it depends on what people are arguing for um there are christians who think because they found something in the bible like everyone even people who don't accept their presuppositions that the Bible only tells the truth have to like agree it's history. And I don't I don't think that logically plays out in like a non-Christian's mind. Um but like if we're all like if we're all Christians talking together and we all grant this presupposition that the Bible teaches true things, then um I I understand where they're like, well if we can prove somehow that this is history, then by default it has to be true history. So it's like logical within the presuppositions we're granting Um, but I think anytime you say it can only be this and not this like I just wonder like well what's your agenda why does why does it have to be true is it because I'm suspicious like well is it because you spend a lot of money creating materials and like arc theme parks based on this view and you need it to be true like is that related to something Um, so sometimes I I, like question why people need things to be the, the way they are. And like, is it really because they're trying to honor the Bible? And I think for some people it is like their idea of honoring God's truth is to take it at face value. And that for them is kind of like a test of faith that they believe God requires of them. And they're super sincere in that, um, in that belief, like it's something that they're invested in. Um, so, Like, I don't want to say that that in itself is like a bad thing. It's, It's a good thing to be sincere and to, you know, want the Bible to be something that you just take God at his word. But yeah, I think you can take that to an extreme where God at his word means like my uneducated interpretation is God's word. And that's not necessarily like that's kind of arrogant in a way. The people who are like, well, we don't need these intellectual elites who studied Hebrew and studied the ancient Near East. And because, you know, the Bible is clear enough and plain enough that I, with my complete lack of context and knowledge, can understand it. It's like, well, who told you that? Like, that's not really like what sola scriptura means. That's something that you made up.
1: Yeah, that kind of gets into one of the questions I was planning on asking you, which is, you know, if, well, I know for, I mean, for a lot of people, so, you know, they, they grow up in this, you know, young earth creationist mindset of looking at the Bible and then they, you know, they go to college or whatever and, you know, take a science class and they're like, you know, oh gosh, it's, it's, it's all scientifically wrong. And um, so then I've seen this a lot where They'll be like, okay, well, you know, I have good reason to be a Christian. Um, so obviously the the Genesis account has to be true in some way. I just, you know, need to take a different approach. And then they, you know, they they go to the completely other side where it's like, oh, it's all a metaphor for, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, well, like I mean, obviously you didn't get that from the text. You're just saying that it can't be that, and that's your only other option. So it's a magic you wand
0: know, that all the problems yeah. go away.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just a <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just a, it's just a metaphor. Like, you know, if that, that's the only two we, options, right?
0: Because I think that it's people that haven't moved away really from a concordist approach. So if it's history, it has to be like accurate. And if it's science, it has to be accurate or otherwise, like our idea of what the Bible is and does falls apart. So instead of changing or evaluating their idea of what the Bible is and what it does, They just kind of like, well, we just have to make it not history, then problem solved, then you can just do whatever you want with it. So I think that is, I don't know, I think that's kind of a cop out because it's not really trying to understand the text. It's trying to make your problems go away. And it's not like the problems were caused by the way you approached the Bible. So that's kind of what you have to deal with, not what the Bible says.
1: Yeah, totally. And um So along those lines, um, if we have someone that's like, you know, taking that approach, uh, it makes it difficult because, you know, you know, they're not going to grasp the full meaning of the text. They know it's definitely, well, they feel like it's definitely not, you know, the literal Young Earth creation interpretation, but so it can't be that. They only have only one other option. And for some people, it's it's difficult to say I don't I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So can you talk about like one, like I guess the uncertainty of that. Like, is it okay to say like I don't know? I don't have a firm view, but you know, Christianity. Yeah, true, or, yeah. Like, and I think what, we have to be confident about that.
0: Well, what's a revelation for people is I think like if you've grown up in you know, kind of a a kind of Christianity that has been very black and white and has had the answers and kind of like part of your Christian training is to know the right answers and to have an answer for everything, then like when those answers stop being satisfying, you're sort of, you're looking for a different set of black and white answers. Like the other team, what does the other team have that's black and white and better? and it's kind of this sad revelation to realize no the other teams just a bunch of gray area and being comfortable with the ambiguity and like you have to change your whole orientation to black and whiteness and um so i think that that's part of like a shift for a lot of people is becoming comfortable with the fact that the bible doesn't have the answers to all the questions that you might ask it it is presenting its own message on its own terms and the questions that the ancient audience had that it was answering might be different than yours and like it's not it's just not true that the bible is this handbook that answers every question you can possibly bring to it it doesn't tell us about gene editing it doesn't tell us about um climate change like we we have to like use the principles and like our understanding and like be inspired by the holy spirit to like put the truth that we understand from the bible into like totally new context and it, Like, we can't always find, like, it doesn't tell us where in human evolutionary history is Adam and Eve located. Like, it's not there. And so so some of it, I think, is just realizing that, um, like, we can have questions that that maybe there are answers out there, but the Bible isn't the place where the answer is going to be found. And also that... um, you know, like truth is not about gaining knowledge, it's about being transformed and being like part of the role of the truth of the Bible is to conform us to Christ likeness and to empower us to like live godly lives in like a world that's very different from the Bible's world. And so um, I think we need to move away from this idea, of like mastering the content of the Bible and like knowing the answers about what it teaches to letting the truth of the Bible like shape us, inform us, and make us like into God's people, because that's what like His revelation of Himself is supposed to do. It's supposed to like change us. It's supposed to like help us love Him. And so, I I don't know if that relates to your original question, but I think part of like changing how you approach the Bible is is instead of looking at as this like object to be studied and like conquered intellectually as like, no, this is, this is a vehicle for relating to God and God's a person and God like relates to us. We don't conquer knowledge about God. Like we know a person and that relationship and that love for God changes us and empowers us and allows us to live the lives we are called to.
1: Yeah. Well, just from a personal perspective, you know, I've definitely noticed myself that like, you know, when you, when you study the Bible and like you're you you almost become like the guy when you studied a lot you're like you know you're always in studying the bible it's like eventually it gets to the point where like okay people almost see you as you know you're the guy with the answers and it Mm kind of like makes you feel good inside and sometimes that can be a very prideful thing so um and in that regard like it's for some people it's we have to have the answers or it's all over and in other regards it's like you know that's our identity that we are the people with the answers and if we don't have the answers then that means that we're you know fake or whatever so yeah. i definitely see how that could be difficult for a lot of people um just to say well, and I, I, know.
0: I think with uh just with like kind of the sides that you have here with your answers in genesis and um like there's a lot of um kind of viewing people as opposition And a lot of like understanding the Bible is so that you can fight whatever the culture or atheists or um, the degradation of society. And it's this very like battle mentality of like we need to hold to the truth because the truth is what is going to allow us to fight these battles that we've decided like we are called to. And like, I think that the church called to, you know, fight. Spiritual battles, in some ways, but I sometimes, like maybe as Christians, we've created enemies out of people that aren't enemies, and we've, you know, made everything into a war instead of um, a conversation. Or you know, like every debate is an argument that needs a winner and a loser instead of like mutually edifying, you know, people by bringing different ideas to the table, and so. Um, that's something that I like hope people get out of exploring different views is this idea that like Christianity is a big tent and the diversity in it is a good thing. It blesses us. Like we're a body. We have different parts and we don't all see things the same way and we don't all hear the same things from God and like, that's not like a reason to go to battle. That could be something that helps us like learn and grow. But um, I think it's hard for us sometimes to step away from this training we've got that everything, like the reason you need to know the answer is because you're going to fight with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, last question for you. So, um, on the topic of just like not being able to say, I, you know, I have all the answers, I fully understand the Bible, um, a lot of people would say that you know, the Bible is, you know, God's inspired word. God's not the author of confusion. You know, all of the Bible, you know, should be easily understandable, even to a child. Um, Like, you know, we're really, um, God wouldn't write something just to confuse us. Like, what would be the purpose of him writing it if if we can't even understand it? So in that regards, you know, people feel like, you know, there has to be a meaning there. So can you talk about just, um would you would you agree with that? Or would you disagree that, you know, you know, do you think there's good reason to think that, you know, we should be able to understand all of the Bible or how does that work?
0: Yeah, I think that the um like this doctrine of perspicuity that we should be able like a child could get it. And I think you know, like we've taken Christians have taken the gospel to cultures where it's entirely foreign. And they have preached like the basics and people from totally different worldviews have understood and come to faith and have embraced the message. And like God's spirit, I believe, has worked on them and like said, this is true. So I think there is like an aspect to the message that the Bible communicates that's like super transcendent in culture and time. And it is basic and simple and like a child can understand it but I don't think that applies to like every passage or every verse. And I think that goes back to like what we were talking about with what the Bible is and how it was formed and like God didn't write it. God did not sit down and write a systematic theology for us and hand it to us and say, here's your catechism, memorize this because this is everything I want you to know about how, you know, like what you need to believe. Like he handed us a bunch of stories and like poetry and prophecies and letters to churches that had problems and from all of this, like we're pulling out like our beliefs and we're systematizing them and we're trying to understand how they all fit together. But Like it wasn't handed to us as a, like, believe this. And so, um, sometimes I think that we take this idea about like the overall message, you know, God's like overarching meta-narrative, which is easy to understand. And then we impose that on like all these details that no in reality we need Hebrew scholars and we need archaeologists and we need. You know people who are really studying things in depth and we might change our mind as new information comes to light because it wasn't easy to understand there's still passages that. You know, like women's going to be saved in childbirth like what's that all about like I don't know that you have different ideas, but those are confusing passages and if you think it's really easy to understand then yeah I kind of wonder so. Yeah, I guess I guess it acknowledging that the Bible is a very complex document and not um, just something that God like sat down and wrote for us to explain things um is part of the the difference.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I've been thinking about that like you know the clear meaning of the scripture and all that works and yeah, inspiration and how you do that definitely is going to change your approach to that. Anyways, um you know i appreciate talking to you christy this has been awesome um can you uh give people uh you know where should we contact you at um uh obviously want everyone to check out uh your your little your school curriculum um could you talk about that a little bit um
0: yeah um i wrote a curriculum for high school me and a team not just me um and it's available on biologos.org integrate and um, I hang out on the Biologos forum. That's uh, discourse. I, I don't. I should memorize these addresses. It's just like I type D I S and it comes up on my computer. I think it's discourse. Um, dot Biologos or something like that. If you put in Biologos forum on a Google search, you'll find it. And um, I hang out there. I'm on Twitter occasionally, C J Hempel four, and mostly just watching cat videos. But Sometimes I get into little theological discussions there, too.
1: Awesome. Uh, um, random question, like, so I guess if it's a forum, you know, you can take questions and, you know, if people ever have their questions, they can come to you guys and you know, get. Yeah, a of I, thoughts. yeah,
0: I mean, I know I'm a moderator, but I really believe that the Biologos Forum is one of like the best places on the Internet for having like intellectual, stimulating, civil conversations like because it's it uses discourse software it's so much better than social media because you can like embed quotes and you can like actually have like an intelligent conversation it's not just like you know a bunch of one line replies and people all the time link really interesting articles they review books they read it's kind of a smart crowd that hangs out there but yeah anyone is welcome to bring a question to say you know I heard this can you explain more about it or where would I look for you know, good resources on exploring this idea. And I mean, it, it's the internet and anyone can show up like we kick people off for being rude, but um, it's not like we vet people. So you get all kinds of input from Christians, non Christians, you know, various levels of orthodoxy. But um, it's like, there's a lot of people who um, have really engaged in these conversations for a long time and are very knowledgeable about sort of just the different stuff that's out there that can help you understand different topics so i w- everyone's welcome please combine give us something interesting to talk about
1: awesome all right sweet well i appreciate you christy and i hope people got out got something out of this i know i did um i hope you have a great rest of your day thank
0: you always a pleasure zach
1: Aww. see you around